All right, in Revelation chapter 14. Now, last week, we, we, man, we looked at some hot-button topics like the Antichrist, uh, uh, the false prophet, and that. And, and uh, it's challenging, right? And we've been in this section of Revelation where it just feels like a lot of wrath and then some more wrath. Uh, and, and ultimately, what we're trying to unpack is the writer John uh, is, is writing down for us um, in, in apocalyptic and symbolic language uh, through the lens of the Old Testament. He's writing down for us what is being revealed to him. And it's being revealed uh, through these images. In fact, throughout the book of Revelation, we've seen, and then I saw, and then I saw, and then I saw. And, and so this book, uh, the book of Revelation, is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we're, we're promised a blessing. Uh, we're told that if we study it and, and we read it and learn it and put it into practice, we will be blessed. And so we're clinging to that as we walk through it. And, and what God is doing for us is it's like he's removing the veil of what is and then what is to come and helping us to understand. Now, today, as we walk through Revelation chapter 14, um, there's a couple things that, that I want to just share with you because I, I think sometimes based upon, you know, past church experiences, or even just maybe you've had uh, somebody that was in your life and they're like, I'm a Christian, and they were just a horrible example, okay? Now, one, let's give them some grace today because I think we've all been a poor example, right? Amen? Yeah, I know. And, and, and so at different points in time, if all of us are guilty of that. But what some of those interactions or experiences have done is it's, it's, it's caused us to look at scripture from already a negative point of view. And the danger when we're in that place is what we'll do is we'll start to look at scripture and read scripture and our understanding scripture will start to, uh, start to become what we want it to say. Does that make sense? In other words, we start to take God's word and, and no longer are we looking at it as this is God's word, it's authority, and even when I don't maybe like what I'm reading or fully understand what I'm reading, I still go, man, God, these are your words. This has authority over my life. And so that's one posture. The other posture is to look at that and go, man, I don't like that, right? We're going to talk about hell today. I'm just telling you right now. You're not going to like it. Okay, in fact, if I said universally, who likes hell in this room? There's probably a few knuckleheads who go, yeah, yeah, party on. But like for the most, like nobody would be like, oh, that's great. That's awesome. Like, no, uh, but we're going to unpack it. And some of us, uh, some of us, maybe you're like me. You're, you're like traumatized from hell conversations, right? I mean, you know, growing up, I, I, I experienced this often. Um, I've used the example before. I remember being five, you know, and this poor Sunday school teacher's got that 80s flannel graph, and, and, and they're there, and, and there's a line down the middle, and, and one image is heaven, which is this beautiful, celestial, white, beautiful thing, right? And, and we're just like, ah, and then on the other side is just fire with people in it. <laughs> and literally, like, like, who wants to go here? We do. Who wants to go there? No, no. Okay, say this prayer, and you'll go here. What? Yes. Mm. <laughs> Please, God. Right? And, 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 so, and so for some of us, when it comes to fear, and we read about fear in Scripture, we filter it through a negative lens. Uh, when it comes to hell, we, we do the same thing. We don't like it. We don't like some of these things, or we don't understand it, and so we take it uh, and, and turn it in a way that makes sense to us, or in a way that 
that, that we go, okay, now I'm okay with it. Um, and this really came to light for me just this last weekend. I was at this debate. I wasn't debating, um, but, but essentially it was, a, uh, it was a great conversation that was happening between two theologians, and I had the opportunity to be there, and, and essentially they were talking about the, the, the doctrine of evil, and just a, a fascinating conversation, and, uh, and, and, and they had two opposing views from Scripture. They're both theologians, and, and they're, talking about, they're talking about hell, and in, in the conversation, one of the theologians, who I probably disagreed with the most, but I'm not going to say his name, so we're good. Um, you're all going to Google it now. But uh, anyway, he, he, he shared how he, he's trying to become a universalist. In other words, everybody's going to end up in heaven. But he said this, and this really stuck out to me. He said, I haven't figured out a way yet to make it work. And I just went, whew. Isn't that what we do? When we read scripture and we don't like it, we disagree with it, it's painful. We don't understand, well, God, what are you doing? This doesn't seem like you, right? What do we do? Try to figure out a way to make it work or how we want to understand it. And guys, I want to challenge against that today. And as we read this, I pray that God gives me the ability to, to speak it in a way that is gracious, but also in a way that is clear and aligns with what he's saying. And, and so I pray that we can receive that and hear that, maybe just from a different place this morning, and hopefully it can work and reach and penetrate through some of the um, just layers of protection you've put over your heart and mind from maybe some past damage that's been said or modeled or done uh, throughout the church. But let, let's go into this. this is get, we're going to talk about some, some tough things, but we're still as always, going to see the incredible grace and the love of Jesus in this. So in Revelation chapter 14, it says this, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps, and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the lamb. And in their mouth, no lie was found, for they are blameless." Okay, so uh, we're, we're brought into this scene, the imagery once again, and he sees the lamb, it says, and the lamb, Jesus, is now standing, it says, on the Mount of Zion with 144,000 uh, around him. Now, uh, this is the same 144,000 from Revelation chapter 7. Uh, when we walked through that. Now, uh, just to remind you uh, from when we looked at Revelation chapter 7, there are some, uh, and, and I would say when we, when we think about who these people are and who they aren't, uh, I could probably cut a, you know, cut a line in half as far as uh, where people would fall uh, that I've connected with um, who are Christians, who have studied this. Um, and so some, some believe that these are the Jewish men who were protected by God throughout the tribulation, uh, and they're before him, and they believe that this is a literal Mount Zion there by Jerusalem, and they're gathered around him. Uh, and then there's others uh, who would say, this is the redeemed of, of all time. In other words, this isn't just, uh, 
Israelites uh, from the nation of Israel. This is all Jesus' followers who are there. And so the 144,000 is speaking to the completeness, the, the whole amount, the whole number of those. Now, how does someone arrive at that position? Um, you should check out Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16, uh, when, we, when, when Paul talks about uh, us all becoming one and removing barriers to become one, a new people group. So people will uh, take that. And in Galatians chapter 3, 28, uh, Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Okay, so uh, there's different views on this, right? So uh, the 144,000, and then is this Mount Zion, is it the image from Hebrews 12 where it's, where it's in heaven, uh, or is it on earth, right? And, and so either way, we've got these Jesus followers, and it says that uh, on, their, um, on their foreheads is permanently marked uh, that they are God's. Okay, so either way, these are individuals who have followed uh, Jesus. They belong to him, and they stand with the lamb on the Mount of Zion. And, and, and so as, as he stands there, we get this imagery, right, of, of the lamb standing in triumphant victory. And then John says, and, and I'm hearing something. He goes, I, I, I'm hearing singing the sounds of, it says, waters and thunders, a voice, John says, it's like, it's, it's like harpists playing uh, on their harps. And, and they sing this new song before the throne, uh, before the throne. And, and, and at the throne is the four living creatures or these angels and, and the representatives of the redeemed or, or what is alluded to as the elders. And it says only those who are redeemed that are there can, can learn and sing this uh, song. And then we get to verse four, and it kind of throws us off a little bit. Uh, if we just read it, it says, and those who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are uh, virgins. And, and so uh, we read that, and we go, what, man, what is it talking about you know, there? Um, and so as it's describing these worshipers as virgins who haven't defiled themselves with women, it's, once again, we got to be uh, reminded that Revelation is apocalyptic, and, and in many cases, there's uh, symbolic language being used. And and here it's alluding to the faithfulness to God. They've been faithful to the Lamb. In a world full of idolatry and immorality as people are turning to, and you'll see throughout Scripture and the book of Revelation, when people are against God, doing things in opposition to Him, you will use terms like, like they are uh, committing adultery, right? Um, or they are um, essentially, they're, they're choosing a different love. Uh, and so you see that language being uh, used, but these are people who have been faithful. It says they continually follow the lamb and they are the first fruits. Uh, in other words, there's a greater harvest even still uh, to come. But verse five, it tells us that they follow the lamb and there's no lie in their mouth and that they're blameless. Okay, um, what is speaking to you here? And why is this so important? Well, it's so important because sometimes we can read something as face value and go, okay, so for me to get in, I have, well, I've told a lie. Oh no. They're blameless. I've been blamed for a lot. They get, they're virgin. Okay. So all these things, you could just look at it and go, oh man, well, I'm not, I'm not getting there. Um, but what it's talking about when it says if there's no lie in their mouth is they worship the spirit in truth. 
and from a place of truth, and, and, and there's been no lie or deceit in their following of Christ, and they're considered blameless because of the finished work of Jesus, okay? We continue in verse 6 of chapter 14. It says, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Okay, so in verse six uh, through 13, we're introduced to six angelic messengers. And the first one that we're introduced to is one that's flying directly overhead. And, 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 and the language there is literally mid-heaven. And it's referring to the point in the sky uh, where the sun reaches its apex there. And, and so it's the highest point in the sky. This, this angel is, is going to be there. And, and it tells us that he has this eternal gospel to proclaim. Guys, now, now once again, let's just call a timeout and acknowledge the love of God here, right? God loves humanity, and humanity already has been turning away. They've already been following the beast, right? The, the Antichrist, the way, the system of the Antichrist, and that. And, and what does God do? Like, um, get out. Like, no. He sends this angel, this massive, inspiring angel, right? And, and, and this angel at the highest point possible, so everyone can see, don't ask me what it's like, I don't know. You read it. Like, we try and figure it out. But either way, what you see is God loving humanity so much that he sends this angel to come at the highest point so all can see, so no one can, oh, I didn't see. Like, everyone will be able to see. And, and with this loud voice, this angel is going to proclaim, it says, an eternal gospel. Now, why do I love that, you guys? Because the gospel is not an invitation into a temporary relationship with God. Right? It's, it's, it's eternal it's eternal life with Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the invitation. So it's eternal. And, and not only is it an invitation, the gospel message, an invitation to an eternal relationship with a perfect and holy God, but also what we see is it's a message that is timeless. In other words, in the Old Testament, right, they, they were looking towards uh, the Savior. In the New Testament, they're looking back, they're drawing back on the life of Jesus and what he did on the cross for their sins, how he resurrected from the dead, having victory over sin and death. And that is a message that is alive today, 
right? And so it's timeless. So not only is it eternal in its very invitation, but it's eternal in its message. And, and, and you guys, when, when you look at the, the good news, and the good news is just, it's the forgiveness and it's the eternal life made possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus. See, Jesus promised that this gospel, he promised that it would be preached throughout the whole world before the end. In, in Matthew 24, 14, uh, Jesus says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So the angel with this loud voice, so, so that all can hear, is going to preach to all the inhabitants of the, earth, uh, of the world. So unbelievers from every nation, tribe, language, and people, he's going to preach the gospel to all of creation. And what I love about this is you see the intent, the heart of God, all the way from when Jesus left. Remember in Matthew 28 in Acts chapter 1, Jesus essentially challenged his followers. He said, you're going to be my disciples to the ends of the earth. And I love Acts chapter 1 because he says, listen, the Holy Spirit's going to empower you to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so we see that was what was asked. And today, that is your and my task if we're Jesus followers, is to take the gospel message. And guys, when we think of just this command, we think of this moment, and we think of all the suffering, the trials, the tribulations. You know, one of the things that, that just stands out is there's still time. There's still time. Even as, as, as this angel is going forth, right? The message is you still, have a, you still have time to decide. You still have a choice. And he says, his message, fear God and give him glory. Fear God and give him glory. Acknowledge God. Acknowledge how sovereign, almighty, all-powerful he is. Uh, look at what's going on in the world around you. Can you just, can you stop? Can you quit fighting? Can you quit going in alignment with the Antichrist, with the mark of the beast and all of that? And can you acknowledge God? Please, I plead with you, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. You guys, this is one of those things that's been taken and twisted and distorted, right? Um, because what we see in Scripture, you guys, David said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, that's what he said. And, and guys, when we, when we look at fear throughout Scripture, yes, we see very clearly that there is a reverential awe that we're to have when it comes to our relationship with God and our view of God. Right? It's very clear. He's up there. I'm down here. And so there's this awe that I should have whenever I pray to him, whenever I go to worship him, when I go to approach him. But you guys, also what we see, to be honest, and, and we don't always like this because of past trauma or how it was used against us. Maybe you had a bad flannel graph experience. But <laughs> guys, there is a healthy fear of God. There is. There is. David said, that is the beginning of wisdom. And Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, he says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Huh, that's Jesus. You're like, that's not my Jesus. Meh. What are you going to do with that? Oh, it's not there. Well, it's there. 
right? So, so Jesus is, is telling us that there is a fear that is healthy, that is good for us. And so there is the sovereign Lord that we should have this reverential awe, that there should, there should be like fear in this a little bit. And, and, and through that, we are to what? We are to give him glory. Out of that fear, remember that fear is not designed to go, oh no, but that fear is actually designed to then be brought in in, and to give him glory. To acknowledge God, you are there, right? Um, And and so we see that. Um, And and, and one of the things that this text talks about here uh, is the hour of judgment has come. In other words, the time for salvation is almost Gone. The, the opportunity to receive Jesus is fading quickly. The second coming could happen at any moment. Listen, fear him. Acknowledge who he is. You just hear this booming voice. Uh, and then I love how it speaks to him as the creator. God is the marvelous creator. Worship him because he's the one who made heaven and earth. You guys, that's been the starting point for so many people in their relationship with God, is, is just studying creation is just looking and understanding and knowing there's something bigger that had to happen here because this continues to point to intelligent design, right? So, so that has brought so many people to Christ. Um, and in fact, we see Paul continually going back to uh, creation. In fact, in Romans chapter one and two, uh, Paul talks about how, how, listen, through creation, God reveals who he is to the point where people are without excuse, And so through creation, he even speaks to himself. And so here, the text is talking about creation and the creator. Um, The second angel appears. And the second angel appears announcing the fall of Babylon the Great. Now, this is, we're going to see this multiple times in the book of Revelation. But Babylon is introduced here for the first time. Uh, ancient Babylon in Mesopotamia, which is modern-day uh, Iraq, it, it was once this great and powerful empire, when you look at the Old Testament. Um, and it was known all throughout the world for its decadence, its, its immorality, and, and its idolatry, and, and just anything goes, but, but we're the best, we're the most beautiful, all these things, and we're the world power. And so when you see in Revelation Babylon being alluded to or spoken of, what it symbolizes and stands for is a system that's religiously, politically, morally, and economically in opposition to all that is of God. That's what it's saying. In other words, and you see it attached here to the Antichrist, don't you? In other words, this is the system and the way of the Antichrist. And he says, all nations have been intoxicated, they've been deceived and seduced by this false system. Guys, once again, I want us to to see this language here. They've been intoxicated. In other words, they had something and they're like, oh, this is okay. But then they had it to the point where now it controls them. You think of deceived, right? Like, Like it had the appearance of good, had the appearance of right and fulfilling and rewarding and happiness, and yet... It's deceptive. It's seduced. In other words, it's going to look good. It's going to look right. I would even say uh, part of this could be it could look like Christ. It could be someone who claims to be a spokesperson for Christ. And so this Babylonian system, uh, it seduces people into adultery through idolatry. 
So it uses uh, the language, once again, of like adultery on, on, on Christ, on the Savior, right? It's, it's adultery through idolatry. In other words, it's this world system, this way of thinking, uh, this way of viewing morality, God's word, our lives, our purpose. And, and what it does is over time is it takes Christ off the throne and it puts the system on the throne, which is the Antichrist. And guys, I wanna, I wanna tell you something. We are in Babylon today. You and I, we are exiles in Babylon today. And, 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 and like when you think of what's going on in our world, you guys, oh my goodness. When you think of what's going on in Christianity right now, oh, I mean, there's crazy stuff going on in Christianity, right? And some of you remind me of that. Like, you're not, like, you'll send me clips of pastors. You're not going to become that, are you? Like, texting me. Like, I'm like, what do I do with that? Like, no, I don't think so. Like, um, I hope not. Like, they'll fire me, you know? Like, <laughs> like I don't know. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, which is great. Keep sending me stuff. I don't care. But, um, you guys, the, when I look at this, I go, knowing where we're at, knowing when I read Daniel, and I go, man, that is the model. That is the example of what it looks like to be in, in this, in this non-Christian. And we're in this post-Christian environment, guys. We are in it. Like, uh, and I say that specifically to uh, the people here in, uh, in the U.S. If you're watching from a different country, you're like, yeah, we've been in it. Like, like, it's always been this way. But for us in this room, in this nation, we are in a post-Christian culture. And, and we're like, I don't know what to do. And, 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 so, and, and so one of the things that I see, which is honestly dangerous, there's two things that are dangerous. One is to be seduced and to fall in love and to just go along with the trend of what's happening, right? It, it's, to, it's to think Babylonian, right? It's, it's just, man, this is what it's doing. This is where it's going. This is what people are saying is okay now. I'm okay with it. That's fine, okay? That's just where culture is. That's where Christianity is. And so you see this, uh, I'm just gonna kind of just go along with it, do my best to follow God. I don't fully understand what's going on. I'm gonna do my best. The other is to actually fall prey to, I think I'm pursuing and following God, and yet I'm actually in the process. I am taking scripture now, and I'm starting to twist it and distort it and listen to and feed myself with either theologians, people, pastors, um, spiritual thinkers, and, 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 and I start to actually, theology is the study of God. So theology either, theology has to draw you to God. And so the deception is I start to think like I'm following God, but I'm actually thinking like a Babylonian. Because scripture no longer has authority. Remember, like I said, like in this debate, that's what stuck out to me is all of a sudden, now the, the, uh, what I'm seeing across the board, and, and you youngsters in the room or watching online, man, you're dealing with more confusing thoughts when it comes to scripture coming your way than I could have ever comprehended, ever. I feel sorry for you guys. But what, but what you're going to see is, is, is essentially deception, seduction. Do you see the words that it's using? Okay, it's not going to be the thing that you go, oh, that's clearly evil. I'm not going to do that. 
It's not gonna be that way. And I think for a lot of us, when we see Babylon and, and we see the imagery and the, and, and the Antichrist, I'm reminded once again that these images, what it's speaking to are people that are, are literally deceived. They're deceived. And so you guys, if it was clearly wrong, you would know. And so it's going to suck you in. It's going to get you, it's gonna sound appealing. It's gonna sound right. It's gonna take scripture likely and frame it in a way that agrees with what you want it to be, right? It agrees with me. Guys, <laughs> this isn't popular. Scripture should disagree with you a lot. It just should. And I'll be the first to tell you, I read stuff, I don't like it. And, and I'll go to the Lord and I'll be like, God, I don't like this. But I have a choice there to submit and surrender what I don't know to a perfect and holy God. Or I say, you know what? I don't like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it fit my Babylonian mindset because that's what is in my nature. And so you guys, you and I are exiles in this Babylon time period. And it says, those who drink Babylon's wine and experience her passion will also drink another wine and experience another passion. And it, what does it say? That wine is the wrath of God. This third angel arrives and with a loud voice announces that whoever follows this Babylon way of thinking and worships the beast is, and takes up the mark of the beast is now going to drink the wine of the wrath of God in full strength and in full measure. And you guys, in the Old Testament, we see God's wrath is often pictured as a cup of wine to be drunk. Uh, in Jeremiah 25, 15, says, thus the Lord, the God of Israel said to me, take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. Okay, so once again, John is using a visual imagery that he knows from the Old Testament. And, and you guys, when we look at this and we go, man, that's, that's intense. I don't like that. Like, God, man, you're just, you're just once again delivering wrath here. You guys, this is the proper, holy, and righteous response from a perfect and holy God towards people that are rebellion uh, in rebellion against him. These are people, remember, they, they have said, oh, the grace of Christ, that's great. I don't want that. I want to do what I want. And so what happens next? Well, oh my goodness, we're then brought into, in verses 10 and 11, this, this terrifying picture of hell and eternal damnation. And you guys, when you read this, my goodness, it's uncomfortable. It brings up a lot of your, 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 your roots, maybe for some of you, but you read these things and it's unavoidable. Like I look at this and I go, man, how do I in any way bring in the doctrine of universalism? where like, he's just going to save everybody, right? Like just, just you know, he's going to bring us all in or, or annihilationism where, where he's just going to kill them. So we got to deal with it. Or, or maybe this just, it's a conditional torment, right? Like, like it's all those things, but it's like, okay, have you figured it out? You ready? But no, we, we see something dramatically different here. Those in hell, it says, will have this constant awareness and knowledge of the God that they rejected. See, Jesus, and these are Jesus' words, Jesus spoke of hell, because Jesus spoke of hell a lot, a lot. It's unavoidable if you've read the Gospels. 
He spoke of it as this place of eternal fire, of unquenchable fire, of where the fire is not quenched. And, and, we, and we see imagery and symbolism throughout Scripture, painting uh, this just frightful uh, picture. And we see that fire in brimstone was often used in Scripture for divine uh, judgment. And, 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 and the thing that as you read this and you just go, oh my goodness, this, the imagery is, is terrifying. And you guys, it is. The thing that you need to hear this morning is Matthew 25, 41. In Matthew 25, 41, this is what Jesus says. He says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Okay, so, so time out. Who is hell prepared for? Don't point at someone next to you. Who is <laughs> hell prepared for? Right? That's how you've heard it said. For Satan and his demons, right? So like, God, why would you do this? Why? And he's like, I didn't even create this for you. This is for him. And you guys, universally, we would all go, man, the originator of evil, the originator of all the decay, of all the sin, of all the, the horrific things going on in our world and all that, that's just, right? We'd all be on that team. We'd be like, yep, perfect. And he's like, yeah, I've, I've created that for him. And those demons that, that are just wreaking havoc on this world, wreaking havoc on you and introduce that to the world, I have designed and created that for them. And you guys, don't forget, God is warning us here. There is no, aha, trick you. He's saying, this is how bad it is. This is how awful it is. This is who I created it for. In fact, and then in 2 Peter 3, 9, it, we, we read this about our Lord and Savior. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach Repentance. So he's giving us time, even right now, in hopes with the desire that people will repent, in other words, turn to him. That they want a relationship with him. And so you guys, just even through this, even through this conversation on, on hell uh, that we want to just avoid and pretend it's not there, we see a, a perfect and holy God saying, it wasn't even designed for you. This is how awful it is. Don't go. Don't make that choice. I am giving you time right now for you to understand that there is no middle ground here. Choose me. Guys, uh, the reality is this. Those who go to, go, to, go to hell, they are choosing that destiny. They're saying no to the grace of God made available through Jesus Christ. And so in scripture we read, they're going to be without excuse. In other words, no one's going to be in hell going, this isn't fair. Every single one of them are going to know that they made that decision. And, and, and so... What, what I think is so important here is people are getting what they're choosing. See, see, when I say no, God, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to go my way. I am, I am choosing separation from him, aren't I? And so what God is doing is you want the fulfillment of that? Okay. You want the fullness of separation from me? There you go. You guys... Heaven is only heaven because Jesus is there. Hell is hell because Jesus isn't there. And you need to hear that this morning. And you know what? We, we read some of these words and we go, man, I don't, I don't like the whole strategy of scaring people into the kingdom. And I relate to the flannel graph thing. Like, I, I don't want to like scare people into that. But you know what? I, man, this was like convicting me. I go, but to what length am I committed to doing everything I can to keep people out? Right? I'll tell you one thing, when my boys were getting older and they were looking at the street, 
I painted the most graphic evil image of the street you can imagine. I told them stories that weren't good. I probably repented for. But what was I doing? I was trying to get in them ingrained a healthy fear of the street and of them wandering out there. And I would do anything I could to keep them from it. So what did I do? I didn't say, hey, the street, you know, you can just wander out there. Cars will move for you and you're good, right? Wave at some people. No, I'm painting a totally different picture to keep them out. And so you guys, when it even comes to, to, to fear and that, you guys, if, if a healthy dose of fear of that place is what's needed, goodness, I hope you receive it. I hope, I hope you receive it. See, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. See, motivation, even out of this fear, it isn't always bad, is it? There are a lot of decisions that you don't make motivated by fear, amen? Fear some consequences and things like that. There are decisions all day long that you're making, and you're not making them because you're just in love with Jesus. No, some of them you're making because you know the consequences of that action, right? You guys, fear has just gotten this blown up, out of proportion thing in Christianity. And the reality is this, you guys, it can actually be a tool of Christ. In fact, why do you think memorials are such a powerful time to present the gospel? Because people are confronted with the fear they have of mortality, the fear of death. And guys, that is a healthy fear. That is a good fear that, that God speaks into, doesn't he? And, and, and so let's not just throw everything away there. Uh, then in verse 12, we're called to this endurance, this, this patience, this steadfastness, right? Um, and, and, and so what he's trying to say is in light of the trials, in light of, of all the people that are following the way of Babylon, remain steadfast, don't compromise. And then verse 13, it promises us that it's going to be worth it because John again hears a voice from hell, heaven telling him to write. And here, what we see is the second of seven Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. He says, the dead who die in the Lord are blessed. The dead who die in the Lord are blessed. Uh, in, in, in Philippians chapter 121, Paul says, for, for me to live uh, is Christ and to die is gain. Now, 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 why is that? Well, what do we see here? Well, we see those who die in the Lord, they have this final rest, suffering, sorrow. It's completely eliminated. And so those who die in the Lord, they find also not only this eternal rest, but what do we see here? That their deeds follow them. Okay, now what is this speaking to there? Rewards. So this perfect and holy God has this invitation for you and I to spend eternity with him. And, and, and he says, it is eternal rest and you are gonna be rewarded for how you lived for me and were faithful to me. Pretty amazing. And Paul's like, I can't wait. We keep going in verse 14. It says, then I looked and behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar 
the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle. Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for his grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Okay, so what these verses describe here is, is, is two harvests. Uh, some uh, believe that the grain harvest represents those who are, are righteous that are being taken and that the grape harvest is for the wicked. But it, it seems to be most likely, especially when you look at what he's drawing from, that, that it is one judgment getting worse here. In fact, uh, Joel chapter 3 13, uh, we see where he's pulling this from. It says, Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Okay, so, so John looks. Once again, he looks, and he sees the Son of Man. What a beautiful image. We see the same imagery in Revelation chapter 1 and in Daniel chapter 7 uh, of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, on the white cloud with his golden victor's crown on his head and, and, and in all his beauty. But then we see something we don't like, right? We see he has this sharp sickle in his hand and an angel coming out of the temple in heaven says, the time to harvest the earth has come because the earth is ripe. You guys, all throughout Jesus' ministry, he likens the final judgment to a harvest. And here we see an imagery that is, is just sad. We see the wrath of God is being delivered through the Lamb of God. And what does that show us at this point? Well, mercy is done for these people that have refused him. The sowing of the seeds of the gospel is at an end. There is no tomorrow talk. The time is now. And we see the Lamb of God coming, and then the vision shifts from the grain harvest to the grape harvest. And some believe this is the first glimpse of the battle of Armageddon. Says the fifth angel comes from the temple and he has the sharp sickle for reaping. The sixth angel comes from the altar and then the, the fifth angel commands that sixth angel to harvest the grapes from the earth's vineyard because these grapes have fully ripened. Uh, once again, communicating the time is now and the angel responds immediately. And then we see the fullness of the wrath of God and the imagery here in John's time in the Near East there, grapes were trampled or stomped by foot in a trough that had a duck leading to a lower trough or basin where the juice was then collected. And, and, and so uh, throughout scripture, we see this treading grapes in a wine press. It was, it was familiar image used of divine wrath and judgment. Uh, we see that imagery. In, in fact, in Isaiah 63, Verse three, it says, I have trodden the winepress alone and from the peoples, no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood splattered on or spattered on my garments and, and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and my year of redemption had come. And so we see this horrific uh, scene uh, either way, whether it is introducing uh, that battle of Armageddon or not, we see just imagery of the slaughter where it says the blood, and it's speaking hyperbole here, that the blood is going to be four feet high. It's going to run for 184 miles. That's how it translates. And so it's trying to just give you an eye the depth of how awful this is. 
Once again, God is like, this is how awful. And so, so what do we take away from this? Well, you guys, the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ has to go out with urgency. Man, I, I'm just challenged with this. Because even in my prayers for people that don't know Christ, and guys, we got them. I know in our family, we have people that don't know Jesus. Uh, there's people that, uh, that we connect with. There's neighbors. There's, there's people in our lives, in our sphere of influences. I know my kids, as they go to school, they're surrounded with people that don't know uh, Jesus. And, 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 and we'll get caught up in just praying, right? I pray that Uncle George, I pray that he would just receive Jesus and all of that. And, and we keep going and, and we say these things. But the question I have for myself and for us is, is there actual urgency? Is there an urgency to that message? Is there an urgency to me sharing the gospel with you and, and doing whatever it takes? And guys, I'll say one more thing when it comes to sharing your faith in the gospel. One of the tools of the enemy is to remind you of your past sins and failures and to shame you away from sharing your faith. Okay, like, like that is clearly a tool of the enemy that he wants you to, to, to go, well, they've seen me cuss. They've seen what I've said. They've seen me act towards this other person in that way. So I can't do that. Guys, that is straight from the enemy. He will do everything he can to remind you of why you're so unworthy. What Jesus does is he takes away the unworthiness and say, now go, right? And, and, and so do not let the enemy shame you away from doing that. And guys, here's what we see. We see that... <laughs> Hell is horrific. It is horrific, and our Lord and Savior loves us so much, he tells us how horrific it is. And he says, turn, whatever it takes, turn to me. And so you guys, as we live here in this tension, living during this time of Babylon, we've got to ask, what are the decisions that I need to make? What are the decisions I need to make to guard my heart and my mind? What are the decisions I need to make in regards to sharing my faith? And ultimately, we have to ask, have I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And if I have, what am I doing with it? What am I doing? He loves us so much. Guys, we're, we're gonna close this time. We're gonna pray and we're gonna respond to this incredible God that loves you and I so much. Let's sing. Let's pray.